Join me in the book of Galatians, please, chapter number 5. The topic of the internal battlefield. I'm starting to feel like it is. We're on sermon number 6 already as we work our way through this section. I don't even know how many sermons there are yet. They just keep coming, don't they? Um, I think that might fit the battle theme pretty good, because you never know when it's over till it's over, right? You just keep going. So, uh, the internal battlefield, Galatians 5, this passage that we are working through. I'm going to give a little title for this one. Is it really like that? That's my title. I was thinking that through the other day, because, you know, uh, our world is full of all kinds of exaggeration and embellishment. Sometimes uh, you might think that I exaggerate when I say that Joshua's dog is as big as an elephant. And it's true, it's an exaggeration. It's bigger than an elephant. Um, I'm leaning toward the other side of that at times. But we embellish things all the time. We, When we tell stories, sometimes we start adding the adverbs and the adjectives that just make it seem much more than what it really is. Books are designed, by the way, for the cover to get your attention. You put the cover as spectacular as you can, as colorful as you can, give it some riveting title, and people say, hey, that must be a good book, without even reading the content. What's the old phrase? You can't judge a book by its cover, right? But we live in a world like that. We know that's true, whether it's radio or television that... uh, we follow perhaps the news on. Their goal is to keep you interested and uh, somehow get you through the next commercial or two or three or four with that uh, classic little piece of bait, which goes like this. We'll tell you all about it right after this message. We're used to that, aren't we? That's the world we live in. We're like that all the time. Well, my desire in this passage is not to bury the truth in all sorts of cleverness, uh, even to water it down to make it more palatable. For some reason, the world around us would rather have the complete stories on a news event, but they don't really want the complete story when it comes to their relationship with God and the thing that matters for all eternity. We know that the world is like that. Uh, It turns away from the light of God's truth. And I hope that's not the way we are. I don't think so. I don't think so. But Scripture says to speak the truth in love, doesn't it? So for Valentine's Day, I'll speak the truth. That's my love for you. All right? We shouldn't expect anything less. I know you don't, and I don't. And so when we go into this passage, and by now, six sermons in, you see that the pastor keeps pouncing on the flesh. It's because so does this text. And that's what we've noticed as we've gone through here. It's exactly what God is teaching us. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us comfortable in the flesh. Have you sensed that? Have you sensed that? Now, I will tell you as I start into our passage today, we're going to be in verse number 17. If you're comfortable... Living in this world, living like this world, getting along with the things of this world, and you say, well, you know, 
I've heard people say, that's not good for me, but you know, I kind of like it. If you're comfortable in those regards, and, and when the pastor starts to speak about a spiritual walk that calls you to more, and expects more of the way that you walk, and what you think, what you do, and you kind of tune that out a little bit, uh, this one is for you today. This one is for you. Too often, I think, we treat the flesh like it's a pet. Like it's a little pet. Uh, we grow fond of it, since it seems to always be around. We feed it. We provide for its comfort. We pamper it. We give in to its demands. Uh, but when you really think about it, who is the pet and who is the master? I think at times that the flesh is the master, and we are the pet. Quite a number of years ago, and I can't remember how long it was. I know my children were mostly young. We had gone into a pet shop, and I'm not sure why we were there. I know it wasn't for parakeets that time, uh, but uh, we were there for something, probably fish or something of that nature. And, and we had just managed to come in during feeding time. And the section of the pet shop we had walked through had all these large glass aquariums with snakes in them. And uh, since it was feeding time, they had just dropped in a bunch of white mice into these aquariums. And uh, our curiosity was that of uh, watching a traffic accident. Somehow you're fixed by it, but you don't really want to see what's going to happen. And there in that tank where this snake was this little white mouse just running around all over, the, up and over the body of the snake and back over the body of the snake and running around, going up over its head and down its face and running off and coming back up and running. And I'm thinking, oh, mousey, you have no idea the danger you're in. No idea. We didn't stick around for for the rest of it. How many of us are like that? Like the little mouse? We 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 think we're in the cage with an innocent pet. We just kind of run around in there. We 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 entertain ourselves a little bit, but do we know the danger? Do we know the danger? I have shown you the differences between the two paths in this section. There's the path of the flesh, and then there is the path by walking with the Spirit. The path of the flesh is characterized, especially in in this verse. Lost my place, I know. Verse 15. Biting, devouring, and consuming. We've talked about that path. We've talked about the path that the Spirit would have us walk down, and and all along that path, its characteristics is that of Christ. To be like Christ. Because that's what He's always doing. He's pointing to Christ. And He walks with us. And honestly, if there is nothing else I can impress upon you from this passage, I think there should be more, but uh, I would hope at least this one well, this point is well understood. You cannot travel both 
paths at the same time. You cannot. You cannot walk in the flesh and walk in the Spirit. You just cannot do it. And the explanation of that truth, especially in verse 16 and verse number 17, is where we will be. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We're going to talk about that today. Long introduction. But now that you know where we're going, let's ask the Lord to lead us in these things. Heavenly Father, we bow before you today. As we open up your word, as we look into this passage, we need it impressed upon our hearts. For this is what you have called us to do. Let us not take it uh, carelessly. Let us not uh, be callous to what you would have us hear and, and do. May your spirit have full reign in our hearts today. May he work out the truth from within us to, to serve you as we ought to. Teach us, Lord, from your word. Teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Key verse, verse number 16. We've seen it a while now, but I will emphasize it here as we go into verse number 17. This is our mandate. This is the key verse for the passage. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. We've talked about that already. <laughs> it comes without an option. Walk by the Spirit. That's what we do. We're called to that. And anything else is disobedience. Anything else is disobedience. Walk by the Spirit. That's what it says for us to do. And when you walk by the Spirit, verse number 16 would tell us, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, <laughs> I read that, and I say, okay, explain that a little better. <laughs> Help me understand this a little better. When I dug it out of the uh, Greek New Testament, I found a very encouraging grammatical construction in verse 16. Very encouraging for me. Uh, for all the time we struggle with the flesh, and we do, don't we? Great struggles there. We know, though, as believers, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful to have that in our knowledge. It's wonderful to know it's true. We know that we've been forgiven of our sins. We know that we're set apart by the Holy Spirit for godly living. See, we know He indwells us. We read all that in Scripture and we believe it, don't we? We know that's all true. And yet, I think as we start to mature in our Christian walk, we start to understand more and more what Paul had once said, and actually it starts to become the words that we say, Lord, help this wretched man. What a wretch I am, he said. What a wretched man I am. Is there a remedy for this? I have prayed on many, many occasions that the Lord would make me sensitive to sin, but don't let me go out of my mind. Because when you start to think more and more about it, it's incredible. It's incredible. See, we know the remedy truly is that Christ took our place on the cross. 
We know that's the remedy, that he took the penalty for our death that we deserved. He took the sin upon himself, and he has set us free. We were talking in Sunday school this morning, and whom the Lord has set free is free indeed. We know that's true. But here's the grammatical thing that I read when I looked at this verse 16. While we are walking with the Spirit, when we are walking with the Spirit, we will, or we should not ever fulfill the desire of the flesh. Pretty strong statement when you look at it. What that is, that word, not ever, is actually two Greek uh, adverbs, maybe. We just call them particles. No, no, twice. He has two no's in it. Now, generally, we say in mathematics or such like that, two negatives make a positive. Two negatives are very serious in the Greek language. Who may means no, never, ever, ever. It's the strongest way you could ever say no. No. Not ever. Never. A double negative is what we're looking at in this passage. You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will never lead you on the path of the flesh. Never lead you on the path of the flesh. I go back to Psalm 23, that the the good shepherd that we read of there, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in the path of righteousness. That's the only path he'll ever take you down. That's it. And the Holy Spirit also is like that. The Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever take you on the path of the flesh. So if you're walking with him, are you ever going to go there? No, you see? When you're walking with the Spirit... That's what he's saying here. When you walk with the Spirit, you will not. You cannot. You will not. Never fulfill the desire of the flesh. The practical remedy. We're looking for the practical at times. But the practical remedy for the sin of the flesh is constantly walking with the Spirit. Easy to say. Hard to do. Because we know ourselves, don't we? We know ourselves here. That's why I like verse 17 very, very much. Verse 17 is is a passage that made a big difference in my own life in understanding what it means to walk by the Spirit. I call it the visual for understanding this whole thing. The visual. What is the internal battlefield? He says in verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these two are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. First, I start with the picture. Just recently, as you know, there was the Super Bowl, and and for many who enjoy watching those games, or maybe that's the only game you watch in a whole year. Maybe you don't even care at all. But you understand what the game is. Out onto the field comes two different teams. You could tell because they're wearing different colors, right? There's a group of guys wearing one set of uniforms and a group of guys wearing a different set of uniforms. They have one goal. This team has one goal. And that team has one goal, and it's to take home that trophy. That's their goal. Win the game, right? 
win the game. Now, what's interesting about that is that one goal is made up of hundreds of little battles to bring it about. The plays that take place during the game. Maybe it'd be much quicker if they just had their biggest guy come out against their biggest guy and they arm wrestle for it. But then all those commercials we wouldn't get to enjoy, would we? But they, they, they come out in, in their, their gear. They come out as a team. They come out with their plans. They set up against each other to reach their goal. That's what opposites look like when they go against each other. They're opposites in that regard. Now, between these two teams set with their desire to meet a goal is a leather football. That leather football sits there between the two. One team has a desire to take that, go all the way down the field and get across the goal line. The other team has the exact same desire, but they're going the other direction. It's the same ball that gets carried. Taken back and forth between those two to get them to the end of the, the field where the goal is. Now, I know the picture is not perfect, but it's useful. It's useful in this regard. The flesh lines up against the spirit. And the spirit lines up against the flesh. And they both have one goal in mind. One goal. The Holy Spirit lines up, and he's got a goal in mind. The, the flesh lines up. It has a goal in mind. Guess where you are? The football. You ever feel like that? You say, boy, I feel kicked around today. Now you know why. The football. And I say, it's not the perfect picture, but the reality is, the end of verse 17 says, and you may not do the things that you please. You see, football is only a game. But the concept really comes easy for us to visualize. The reality we're looking at here in this text is not a game. It's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. It's not, it, it's not a battle fought with good sportsmanship. It's a battle. It's a war. There are two different uniforms, if you want, in conflict with each other. You are not a spectator. You are not a spectator. The battle is about your behavior. The battle is about your everyday life. That's a picture. You've got it in your mind? Now let me explain it. Paul writes, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. He's starting to explain here when he uses the word for. He's going into his explanatory uh, terms here now. He's going to explain how it is that walking by the flesh does not allow for walking, or walking by the Spirit does not allow for walking by the flesh. He's going to start to explain what he means in verse 16 with this illustration. So, for the time we really have today, we're just going to look at the first part of it, and next week we'll look at the second part of it. But the first part says, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Let's look at that part today. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The word desire, epithumia, if there was only two or three Greek words I'd ever teach you, that would be one of them. 
epithumia is the word we use for lust. You say, well, pastor, why would you teach us that word? Because that is a very important word to understand. The power of the flesh. And by the way, next week, the Spirit uses the same word. That's my little teaser, so you come back next week, too. Uh, the flesh, epithumia. That, that word there is, is used in uh, the idea of a heart set on something. It, it is what we would use the word covet, desire, uh, lust. Yes, lust is there. But putting the word together, epi is as an intensifying preposition. And thumia is the word we get, like, word thermos from. It's heat. That which retains or makes heat. Or, as some people say, breathing hard. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thumia. Intensified breathing. Panting for something. Craving for something. That's the picture that this word gives to us. It is a powerful little word. Powerful little word. And what adds to it is the way it is written in the text. The flesh desires, the flesh, the flesh violently desires. I've always liked that definition for lust. That's probably the best way to say it. The flesh violently desires the things against the spirit. Now, the verb tense is present tense, and what we do with that in the Greek is put it in a continuous mode. It's always doing this. It continually does this. Relentless is the word I like. It relentlessly desires this. <laughs> we say, well, maybe that's why I get so tired fighting it. It's constantly going on. You ever feel that way? Now you're starting to get a good picture of what it is. It's constantly going on. We say, well, I get so tired trying to fight that. Well, that's the reality of this picture. Understand this. When I say, I get tired fighting it, that's our problem. Because when we fight it, guess what we're using? Our strength, our wisdom, our will. We go about actually submitting to its very desire for us. It wants us to do it our way. That's the very thing it desires in us. And so we do so. And we find ourselves to be weak. We say, well, I can't just do this. Uh, I, I, I just don't know why I, I can't get beyond this. See, when we get weak, the reality, the flesh, does not stop what it's doing. It's relentless. Actually, it gets a little more noticeable. When we get tired, it gets stronger. It gets stronger. It operates in this continuous manner. I use the word non-stop. I use the word uninterrupted. I use the word relentless. That's the way it's operating. That's what the text says. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. It will do this, this way, all the time. Now, Paul's writing to believers. <laughs> 
He's writing to believers here, this Galatian church. And he really hits the target right in the middle when he starts to address the picture here. He questions them earlier on their own salvation and their believer. He says in chapter, or their, their belief, he says in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? He says, You having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Is that the way God designed our salvation? He says, here, I'm going to save you, but you've got to maintain it. You've got to keep it moving. You've got to make it work. That's impossible. Because we can't do that. We saw this last week. Just so you get a good reminder of this, go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, a key passage. But here it says, right in the middle of uh, verse 6 through 8. Let's just do all three. 6 through 8. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Do you see opposites there? He says, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not, look at this, it is not even able to do so. And you said, wow, there's my problem. I've been trying this in my flesh. You've been allowing the flesh to do its very thing. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those are real words, folks. That's very straightforward. There's a word that is used sometimes in Scripture in the place of flesh, and it's the word carnal. And the Galatians were known as carnal people because they were letting the flesh govern them. They were depending on the flesh to accomplish things. They were carnal people. In the book of Ephesians, if you go over there for a minute to chapter 4, you're not that far away, just a handful of pages. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, listen to these words because they sound just like the rest. Verse 17, For this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walked in the futility of their minds. Now, who is he talking to? Ephesian believers. What is it that they've been doing? Walking. In what manner? Like unbelievers. Is it possible? Can an unbeliever act like an unbe- a believer act like an unbeliever? That's what he's addressing here. So what's he say? Well, you're, you no longer should walk like the Gentiles who walked. How did they walk? In the futility of their mind. They were being darkened in their understanding. They were excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. But you're acting like it. You're acting like you are an unbeliever. You let your mind start going into the territory of vanity. It's darkened your understanding and now you're just confused about things. You've been alienated from God and you say, really? Well, think of this, your fellowship. Is it really well when you're walking in sin and you're supposed to be walking with the Lord? No. 
you, you're starting to wonder things. You know, it's kind of interesting. When somebody's out of fellowship with God, some of the first things they think are, God doesn't really like me. God's not really with me. God doesn't care what I'm going through. You ever been down those questions before? Used them? That's what we do. (laughs) In our minds, we get alienated very quickly. Our fellowship has been broken. He says, unbelievers are alienated. You're acting like one. You're ignorant, he says. You're, you're, You're blind. You're hard of heart. You're given over to sensuality. Sinful behavior starts to develop. You're practicing impurity. You're displaying greediness. So are those the symptoms of walking by the Spirit? Or by the flesh? They're the symptoms of the flesh. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, and these folks were carnal too, he says you're destitute. He says you're trying to live apart from the Holy Spirit. You're leading lives that are unworthy of that of a Christian. You're violent toward one another. You're guided by the lust of the flesh. You've got this false security uh, of your freedom in Christ, and you're letting the flesh rule you. You're letting the flesh pick you up and run with you to its goal line. You're letting that happen. It's the violent desire of the flesh. In its fight, it will have its way. It will have its way. And you and me, of our strength, of our wisdom, of our will, cannot compete with that. It is relentless. It is relentless. Notice a couple of things back in our Galatians passage. Notice this, first of all. It sets its desire against the Spirit. Against the Spirit. That means it lines up in conflict against... It's face to face with it in a spiritual duel. I find it interesting when I think this through. When, when they are facing one another, there is no cooperation between them. There is no compromise between them. They don't take turns. The flesh says, okay, you can have Sunday and I'll get Monday. They don't take turns. They don't cooperate. They don't work together. They don't go the same direction. They don't submit to one another. The Spirit will never submit to your flesh. And the flesh will never submit to the Spirit. They're against each other. They're in opposition. That's the word that's set here in the New American Standard. They set themselves in opposition to one another. Just try to fathom that all the way through. They are never, ever going to cooperate. The reality is, only one of them wants the best in you. The other one wants all of you for its own purpose. The flesh. Notice the target of the flesh. It is the Holy Spirit. It sets itself against the Holy Spirit. Why? You'd think this might sound pretty interesting, because the flesh cannot compete with God. It cannot. The flesh can't compete with God. God is God. The flesh is not a God. It can't compete with Him. And yet, have we not learned in Scripture that Satan himself tried to take God's place? 
Didn't he himself want that position himself? We read it in Isaiah chapter uh, 14. Satan, a created being, an angel, set himself against God. And he said, in verse 13, You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of heaven. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Does not our flesh take the same characteristics? I will, I will, I will, I will be your God. I will be your master. I will sit on your throne and I will have it my way. The scripture says it takes its stand against God. Against God. It's an interesting thing to note, that passage I just read to you out of Isaiah, what was said just before that passage And it said this, God looking down upon Satan and said, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Weakened means to bring it to their knees, to to overthrow it, to cause it to decay and to cause it to waste. And if you think that the flesh ambition for you is anything less than that, then you're the little mouse in the snake cage right now. Its desire is to bring you to your knees, it's to overthrow you, it's to cause you to waste and decay away. It takes its stand against God. It took the side in opposition to everything that the Spirit wants to produce in you. Where the Spirit is, there is light. The flesh promotes darkness. The spirit tells the truth. The flesh uses lies. The spirit calls for peace. The flesh sits in animosity. With the spirit, there is hope. With the flesh, your confidence is robbed. With the Spirit, there is freedom. With the flesh, enslavement. It does not care for your well-being. It set itself up against your God. It will not be satisfied until you give it allegiance. And he doesn't mean a percentage of your allegiance. The flesh wants all of it. Now, Don't underestimate the desire of your enemy. Don't underestimate it. It's like a thief, as Jesus described the the, uh, one, the robber who comes in into the flock. It's like that thief that comes in to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Back in 1861, there was a battle. It's the beginning of the Civil War. There was a battle that took place in a place called Manassas Junction in Virginia. The first major land battle of the Civil War. They called it Bull Run. 35,000 Union troops marched out of Washington, D.C. and headed some 20 miles down to where the battlefield was. 
And there they ran into 20,000 Confederate forces. They lined up along this little river called Bull Run. It was a beautiful day. And the folks back in Washington, D.C. said, Hey, why don't we make a picnic lunch and put it in the carriage and we'll just all go down and, and line up and watch this great little battle take place. And literally they did. As the soldiers were lining up for battle, people started setting up little blankets and picnic lunches all along the edge of the battlefield. They came as spectators. They didn't know there was going to be a war. They thought it was a game. They found out otherwise. It wasn't long the historians said they were all running for their lives. It wasn't what they expected. I started this way, and I will bring it back to this point. When we start to treat the flesh like it's a pet, we think it's looking out for our good. We think it's there for our comfort. We think it's there for our entertainment. When we label it as something non-threatening, we have totally missed the danger of this ruthless fiend that has set itself against our God and does everything in its power continuously to keep us from walking with the Spirit. That's its desire. And I hope that we're not the little mice in the cage right now. I want to show you something here out of James chapter 4. I'm going to use this passage literally as our application today. James chapter 4. It's the beginning of the chapter. It goes all the way through verse number 10. I want you to notice a couple of things as I read it. Number one, he uses battle terminology. Talks about war and such like that. But secondly, he gives us several things to say, do this, do this, do this. Watch for them as we go through the passage. James 4, 1 through 10. Take these words very seriously. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses, do you know, do you not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Did you hear that? Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't stand on both sides. You can't walk two different paths. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires a spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Okay, here it comes. Submit, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Three times it made the same point. Three times the first step that must take is draw near to God. Draw near to God. Isn't that the path that we're called to? Walk by the Spirit. Draw near to God. You say, but all these other things, resist the devil. Draw near to God. So I've got to clean my hands. Draw near to God. That's the first thing. The rest of these things are the things He's doing in your life. But first, draw near to God. He says that there. In verse number 7, submit to God. Verse number 8, draw near to God. Verse number 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. See, the battle is fierce. And that's the picture I've been trying to give you. But we're not called as believers to be casualties. We're not called to that. Our mandate is given to us in Scripture. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not, never, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. You see? It's a serious issue, isn't it? We need to draw near to God. Submit to God. Humble ourselves in the presence of our Lord. That's where we start. That's the first step we need to take. We should start now. Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, your word is set before us, and really the passage, when we look at it this way, is so alarming. But Lord, you do not water down your message just to make us comfortable. You do not show compromise. You do not show those kind of things when it comes to the flesh. You are very strong in your statements, very clear in your statements, and your expectation for us is to draw near to you and to walk with the Spirit. And that's what we're called to do, we're commanded to do. For the enemy is fierce. The enemy is relentless. The enemy, as we've seen here this morning, is not our friend. May we take this passage to heart and all these things that you've showed us today, especially that if we are friends with this world, we're in hostility toward you. Impress upon our heart these things, Lord, because we live in a world that is demanding our attention in every single way. It wants our allegiance. It wants our lives. It wants our behavior. It wants our thinking. It wants our will. Our flesh is strong. But you are stronger. For you are God. And what you have done for us, Lord, we're so thankful for it. That you have set us free from these chains. You have set us free from the darkness. Through Jesus Christ, you have made us free indeed. And we rejoice in that today. Thank you for our salvation. Now we're called to walk in it. And may we walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Draw our hearts to you. That's the first step for us today. If somebody here is struggling with something and you brought it to their mind, their conscience is being uh, hard at work even now, 
Lord, show them that the remedy is with God. The remedy is through Christ. The remedy is walking with the Spirit. Draw them to yourselves today, Lord. Make us different, I pray. Different kind of people, because we've come to understand what you've called us to do, and we're walking with you. Do your work in our midst, Lord. Please change us. Make us like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.